Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. We are in uh, week four of our series on the God of Encounters. I think that's what we called it, the God of Encounters, or Encountering God, one of those two. Uh, In our first week, we talked about um, Gideon, and we talked about how the Lord encountered Gideon, how it didn't look like a typical encounter, how it wasn't um, what we would typically consider powerful. Gideon didn't fall on the floor, and he didn't shake, and he didn't convulse, and um, he didn't have any of the typical manifestations that we would call powerful, and yet Gideon left an encounter where the Lord simply spoke one line to him, and he left empowered with an ability that he didn't have beforehand, and he went and he conquered a mighty army that had many times over come in and swarmed the land. The scripture actually says that they would come in like locusts. They and their cattle and their camels would come in like locusts and devour the land. And Gideon, in one encounter that didn't look like anything that we would consider powerful, Gideon was empowered through a word that the Lord spoke. And we talked about how sometimes the Lord shows up and it doesn't look like what we think it ought to look like. You know, some, sometimes the most powerful encounters with the Lord are not me falling in the floor. Maybe it is me falling in the floor, but maybe it's a whisper that he speaks to me in the secret place, and it's, it's in the whisper that the ability comes to do what he's called me to do. In week two, we talked about Abram and how the Lord actually set him up for multiple encounters to be re-encountered, how he encountered him the first time and he told him, I'm gonna make you a mighty nation and through you and through your seed, I'm gonna bless all the nations of the earth. But the scripture actually doesn't say that Abram believed the promise in that encounter. And it says that later Abram and Lot were having disagreements between their their herdsmen and Abram gives land to Lot and Abram says, I'll go over here and I'll take this desert land and the Lord comes again and speaks to Abram and he speaks the same promise. He gives it in different terms and he tells Abram, he says, if you can count the dust of all the earth, he said, I'm gonna make your inhabitants, I'm gonna make your descendants like the dust of all the earth. And Abram doesn't believe the promise again, but it was when the Lord re-encountered Abram again Again, and he got him to a place where he could get, he could get his eyes up. The Bible says that when Abram came out of his tent and he looked up to the heavens and the Lord told him to number the stars, that he believed the promise and he was accounted to him to righteousness. And we talked about how the Lord will re-encounter us to get us to a place where we can believe, where our perception is able to believe what he wants to speak to us. And then finally, last week, we talked about Peter in Acts 10, where he just had to trust what the Lord was doing. He didn't understand what the Lord was doing. He didn't, he didn't really know know what was going on. In fact, the scripture talks about Peter being perplexed and doubting himself and fearing and actually even worrying, but he just had to trust what the Lord was doing. And it was the trust that Peter gave the Lord in the little steps that enabled him to be a part of a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we've done so far. And that's just like kind of the cliff note versions. Tonight, I want to talk to you about being clueless in the encounter, about being clueless in the encounter. Sometimes the Lord shows up and we have no idea that it's actually the Lord. Some people would argue that's impossible, but the Bible actually shows us that it's very possible. 
Some people will tell you if he walks into the room, there's no way to ignore him walking into the room. I wanna tell you it's very possible to miss him walking into a room. It's very possible. One time Jesus was praying to the Father and the Father responded audibly and those in the crowd heard it. And the scripture says that some of those who heard the word said it was thunder. Some of those who heard the word said it was an angel and others recognized that it was the voice of the Lord. What's the principle in the scripture there? The principle is that if if you're not listening for his voice, if you're not listening and looking for him, you'll explain away what's going on as not him. It's easy to explain away as what's going on as not him. And sometimes when he walks in, we're clueless that it's him, but he always gives us an opportunity, an invitation to come closer. He always gives us an invitation to recognize him. So I wanna, I wanna take you to John 21. And in John 21, we again have Peter who um, has found himself in a rough spot and has decided to uh, essentially give up after a few weeks of hardships. And uh, let's read a few verses here and, and kind of dig in. In John 21, the scripture says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. I, I think it's interesting. So after this, what is the after this? In John 20, Jesus has resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples, the apostles. He's appeared to them twice. Once as a group minus Thomas, another time with Thomas. He's already appeared to Mary in the garden. So Jesus has already resurrected. We know that he appeared the first time right after the resurrection. The second time, the scripture tells us, was eight days after that. This encounter is sometime a few weeks after that. So we don't know exactly how many weeks. We just know it's a few weeks after that. And I love that the scripture begins this story with, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. The word for again here, it means, it doesn't just mean again as in like the exact same way. It means anew, or it means further. There are sometimes when he has shown himself to us in such a powerful and unique way, like, I don't know, if you're locked inside of a house and he walks through the wall or shows up inside the room a couple of times, we in our nature or in our humanity get it in our mind that this is the way that he speaks to me or this is the way that he shows up. But John 21 actually starts off by saying that Jesus actually wanted to show up in a new way that he hadn't shown up before as the resurrected Jesus. In other words, he had shown up twice before in John 20 in the exact same way. They were in a house, the doors were locked, he comes through the... He, they were in a house, the doors were locked, he shows up inside somehow, whether he walks through the walls or walks through time or whatever he does, they're inside, doors are locked, he shows up. And, and religion would say, this is the only way the resurrected Christ shows up and speaks to us. Because religion takes relationship out of the equation and it begins to create formulas. And so what religion would do would say, 
well, I'm having a tough time and I need to speak to Jesus, so here's what I'll do. I'll find the room, I'll lock the door and I'll shut myself inside and when I do, he'll show up. But Jesus actually begins this passage by saying, I wanted to show up in a new way and reveal myself actually further to them. The word for again is anew or further. I wanted to show myself further. Each revelation of him is meant to take us further in our relationship with him. Paul, Paul would put it this way in Galatians. He, he said, when I got saved, and I'm paraphrasing, when I got saved, I was sent to the backside of a desert. I didn't go to Jerusalem where the apostles were. I went to the backside of a desert where I received revelations of Jesus for the gospel. Not revelations about Jesus, revelations of Jesus. Encounters with Jesus are revelations of Jesus that lead us into deeper relationships with him. And so when he shows up, it's always meant to take us further into relationship with him. It's never meant to be a formula. Yes, I thank the Lord that I have a prayer time and I have a prayer place. I go there every morning, same exact place. My kids and my wife know where to find me. Every morning they know where to find me. But if I begin to create a a formula out of getting a hold of him, then I've created religion and I've removed relationship and I've taken away his ability to show himself new and further to me when he wants to reveal a newness of himself. The scripture says he's altogether lovely. If I'm gonna, Michael Culliano says, if I'm, gonna re, if I'm gonna see his full loveliness, then I've gotta see his altogetherness. And I've only got a piece of it right now. That means I've gotta see a further piece of his altogetherness to see a further piece of his loveliness. So he begins this passage by saying he revealed himself further or anew to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. A super familiar place for the disciples, by the way, which I'm sure was very challenging for them. The the Sea of Galilee, a place where they had had encounter after encounter after encounter after encounter, and then the Lord actually meets them at a place where they had had numerous encounters, and he begins to meet them in a fresh and new way and begins to challenge their view. In verse two, he says, Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of his other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and they got in a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So they've been out all night. Peter's fed up. He's exhausted with the whole Christian thing. It's been a few weeks. He doesn't know where Jesus is. He's, he's gone. He can't see him physically. He's, he's no doubt scared and worried and nervous. They get in the boat. They go out fishing. They go back to what they know, back to what they believe in, back to what they believe they're good at. And then they spend all night not being good at what they thought they were really good at. And then here's this random dude who's standing on the shore and he actually comes and presents himself and the scripture says they had no idea that it was Jesus. 
In the scripture, the New Testament uses two words for, the, for no. It uses the word gnosko and it uses the word ido or ido. Gnosko is, is like the intimate form of knowing somebody. It's like, it's like Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore a son. But ido is to perceive or to understand. And the word here is ido. In other words, from the boat, from the circumstance, from their situation, the disciples had no perception that it was Jesus. This, this wrecks me. This wrecks me. The resurrected Christ is standing on the shore. The one who they walked with for three and a half years, he's presenting himself on the shore. He's just a few hundred yards off of the shore. I mean, he's not miles away. He's close enough that he can yell out and talk to them here in just a couple verses. And they have no perception or understanding that it's him. They have no idea that it's him. And yet we think if he sneaks into the room, oh, I'll immediately recognize it's him. I'll immediately recognize it's him. I think I, think I need to humble myself and say, Lord, don't let me miss even if you stick a toe in the door. Don't let me miss if you whisper through the crack of the door because you are standing close enough to yell at the ones who slept on the ground with you and they had no perception that it was you. No idea that it was you. To perceive, to ascertain, I love this, to pay attention, to observe, to inspect or to examine. They didn't pay attention enough to the one standing on the shore to recognize that it was him. Maybe if they peered a little bit longer, they'd have noticed it was him. Maybe if they looked a little bit longer, they'd have noticed that that dude's got some weird scars on his hands or he's standing about the same height as the guy that we used to walk with or he looks a little bit like the one who we used to hang out with. His voice sounds kind of like the one who we used to hang out with, but they didn't take the time to observe the one who was speaking to them. And many, many, many times, I believe the Lord sneaks in and hides his voice from a distance to see if we'll observe whether it's him speaking or not, whether it's him speaking or not, because he wants to know, will I stop and turn aside to see who's talking? In Exodus, the Bible says it was not uncommon for a bush to be on fire in the desert. And the Bible says when Moses saw the bush on fire and not being consumed, he turned aside. And when he turned aside, then the Lord spoke out of the bush to him. It wasn't until Moses turned aside and gave his attention to where the Lord was to where the Lord was moving, to where the Lord's presence was, it was then that the Lord spoke to him out of the bush. Moses wasn't walking by and the Lord shouted from the bush and he falls over and then stands up trembling. Moses had to stop and observe and give his attention to what the Lord was doing. And then from his attentiveness, the Lord spoke to him. I have to make sure that I have enough awareness that I'm ready to give him my attention at a moment's notice. That means that he takes full precedence no matter what else is going on. 
Colossians 1 says that he is preeminent in all things, first in rank and in influence, the word preeminent means. That means if I'm at work and he sneaks in the door, he takes preeminence if he begins to speak. If I'm at home in bed and he says, get up and come, let me talk to you for a minute, he takes preeminence. If I'm in worship and he says, stop talking, I wanna speak for a minute, then I be silent. But Lord, it's worship time. I want to, no, no, no. He said, I want to talk for a minute. I have to be ready to observe whenever he stands at attention and is ready to present himself to me because I don't want to dare miss when he starts to speak because his voice is life. Verse five, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? I love that. How many of you know when Jesus asks questions, it's not to get information? If Jesus asks you a question, please don't answer with information. He's never asking questions to get information. If you learn anything out of these four weeks, when Jesus asks you a question, it's not for information. He's asking a question because he wants you to pay attention to something. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they said, no. And he said, yeah, I got that. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they, they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Verse seven, and that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. John here responds. John here responds and says, it is the Lord. The there's three Greek um, moods that you can write in. There's one that there's one that's a suggestion. There's a Greek uh, a mood in terms of a tense of a verb. Um, a mood that's a suggestion. There's a mood that is um, wanting or wishing something to happen, and there's a mood that's an absolute objective fact. And the mood that John writes in when he says, it is the Lord, he writes it in an absolute objective fact. In other words, John looks at Peter and says, I know that I know that I know that that is the Lord. I can prove it. I'll, I'll stake my life on it. That is the Lord. So, something happened. Something happened between verse Something happened between verse four and verse and the beginning of verse seven because in verse four, the disciples had no idea that it was him. And in verse seven, John says, Peter, I know for a fact it's him. So what happened? I spent, I will say for years, I thought it was his voice that John recognized. I thought for years it was his voice. John's the one who laid his head on his chest John's the one who spent more time with him. John's the one who was humble enough by the Holy Spirit to write the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's a humble man to submit to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, I'll write in my own gospel that I was the disciple whom Jesus loved because I don't know that I can write that down if the Holy Spirit tells me to write that. That's a humble thing to write. That's either super humble or super prideful. That's well, one of the two. I'm an heir on the side of humility. I thought for years it was his voice that John recognized. 
I thought John heard him from the shore and the one who laid his head on Jesus's chest, he recognized his voice. He heard his voice from the shore. Surely Peter's over there half naked. He's lost his mind. The sun's beating down on him. He's crazy almost. He's lost everything at this point. He's ready to give up in a minute. He jumps in the water. He's insane. But John, not John, John laid his head on Jesus's chest. He heard his voice. But I don't think it's his voice at all, actually. When I reread it today, I don't think it's his voice at all. Check this out. Jesus speaks in verse five. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answer back, no. And he speaks again, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. John hasn't said a word yet. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Stop there. John hasn't said a word yet, and Jesus has spoke a couple of times already. If it was his voice that John recognized, John would have already spoke up. The moment he spoke, John would have said, Peter's, that's him. So what is it that John recognizes? What is it that John immediately sees that he points at and says, Peter, it has to be him? It's his nature. It's the nature of Christ. It's the nature of the miracle that John points at and says, Peter, it has to be him. John recognizes Jesus by what happened. He recognizes him by what happened. The Lord will hide his voice to reveal his nature to see if we can recognize him in his nature. He'll hide his voice to see if we can recognize his nature. How many of you know the devil's not going to multiply fish and give them so many fish that their nets are too heavy to haul in? How many of you know in their flesh, they're not able to figure out how to throw a net overboard and catch too many fish that they're not able to haul it in? That's limiting the options now. So what does it have to be? If it's not the enemy and if it's not their flesh, it's got to come from somewhere. So he actually hides his voice from them. He disguises his voice from them. John would have recognized his voice if he didn't disguise his voice. John knew his voice. If anybody on that boat knew his voice, it was John. Jesus laid with him at dinner. John leaned his head back on Jesus and said, tell us who it is who's going to betray you. Tell me it's not going to be me. Who is it who's going to betray you? And he had intimate conversations with the man before he went to the cross. The same man who Jesus looked at and said, son, behold your mother and mother, behold your son. If anybody recognized your voice, it would have been John. But Jesus disguises his voice to see, can you recognize me when you don't hear me? When you don't hear me as clearly. When you're not hearing as clearly, can you perceive from what's going on around you who is at work? Who is at work? Sometimes I've got to perceive by what's going on around me who is at work. Whether it's him in the room or something else is going on. Sometimes it's not him in the room. Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes it's somebody other than him in the room, but sometimes he walks in the room and he wants to know, will you recognize me without me saying a word to you? His presence is his voice. 
So when he's in the room, he's actually speaking. I may not hear words, but he's speaking by his presence. He's the word of God. He can't help but speak when he walks in the room. But he wants to know, are you attentive enough that when I walk in, you're hearing me through my presence? And he actually hides his presence from them. This is crazy to me. He hides his presence from them. And John is perceptive enough to say, now, wait a minute. We've been here before. And there's only one who does stuff like this. There's only one who does stuff like this. Can I tell you, if people start getting out of wheelchairs, you don't need the Lord to speak and say, hey, psst, it's me. If you all of a sudden, I use this example all the time, I feel like, but I feel like people need this example. If you all of a sudden get a rush of peace when you should not have peace, you don't need Jesus to go, hey, that was me. You don't need that. He's the only one who does that. (laughs) Satan is not the prince of peace. There's one who's the prince of peace. If you all of a sudden in the midst of walking through hell have joy in the middle of your circumstances, guess what? You don't need a word from a prophet and an interpretation and a tongue and an apostle to show up at your door and say, I feel like the Lord might be here. You can determine from the circumstances that it is him. Sometimes we just got to recognize it's him by what's going on around us. Sometimes we just got to recognize it's him. And he's gracious enough that when I do need to hear his voice, he'll lean down and whisper. But this is part of the maturing into him. Hebrews actually talks about, the book of Hebrews actually describes a mature teacher as one who has had their senses trained to recognize him. Their senses trained to recognize him. Why? Because you don't always need a word from the house prophet. Sometimes you just know when he's here. He's here right now. I don't have to have the Holy Spirit say, guess what? I'm here. I can feel him. I can sense him. I can recognize that he's here. It doesn't mean that somebody's got to run around the room for me to know that he's here and he's doing something in people's hearts and in their minds. I can recognize from what's going on in the atmosphere that he is here. But it takes me observing and giving attention to his presence because I can very easily say, well, I didn't hear anything. It's very easy for me to say, nobody said anything to me. Nobody said a word to me. Holy Spirit didn't say anything to me. Holy Spirit didn't say boo to me. So how am I supposed to know? But John turned to Jesus and said, or John turned to Peter and said, it is the Lord with as much confidence as he's able to express. in that little phrase, he expressed it. He said, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, here's how much Peter believes in John. Peter believes in John so much, Peter doesn't even see and perceive that it's the Lord. Peter believes in John's relationship with Jesus so much that at John's word that it's the Lord, Peter jumps in the water. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, not 
Not when Peter perceived that it was the Lord, not when Peter recognized that it was the Lord, not when Peter received the revelation or the word that it was the Lord, when he heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Man. Mm. What a what kind of faith do you have to have? What kind of relationship do you have to have with Jesus? If somebody jumps in the ocean because you said it's the Lord. And the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place (laughs) with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Jesus has already fixed breakfast. He's already got fish on the fire. He's already fixed bread. But he says, bring some of what you've caught. Bring some of what you've caught. I've got enough to do it all on my own. I've got enough to take care of it all by myself. And matter of fact, I've already prepared it all by myself. But why don't you go ahead and bring some of what you caught? Because I am thrilled to be joyously, I am thrilled to enjoy with you what you have brought. This is the heart of Jesus. I can do it all by myself, but won't you bring me what you've caught? Because I love to celebrate with you what you were able to bring. Verse 11. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Remember the first time Jesus gave Peter a, a net full of fish and the net tore And Peter falls on his knees and he says, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. This time the net doesn't tear. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. The same word for no. In other words, in the matter of, what do we have? Six verses, seven verses. In a matter of just a handful of verses. In a matter of a handful of verses, because one person recognize the nature of Jesus in a circumstance. A whole boat full of disciples come into an encounter with him. One person recognizes his nature. One person. What happens if John doesn't recognize that it's the Lord? Surely somebody else recognizes, right? Maybe. I don't know. Peter's half naked and ready to jump in the ocean, clear, or ready to jump in the sea, clearly. I don't know if anybody else recognizes if John doesn't recognize, but John did recognize. And because John recognized, Peter believed. And because Peter believed, a whole boat full of disciples followed Peter. And because Peter jumped in the water and a boat full of disciples followed Peter, a whole group of disciples got to encounter Jesus. A whole group of people got to come into a face-to-face encounter with the living, resurrected Christ because one man recognized that he's in the room, he's in the moment, he's in the atmosphere, and he's not just here to cuddle, he's not just here to smile, he's here to do something. 
He's here to encounter us. He comes to change us, to challenge us, to move us, to shape us, and to have relationship with us. And it took one man recognizing and a whole boat full of people got to enter in. A whole boat full of people. We started our series with Gideon and a whole, a whole country was liberated because one man had an encounter. We're ending because one man had an encounter and a whole boat full of people had an encounter. One man recognized and a whole boat full of people had an encounter. It doesn't take the whole room noticing he walked in. One is all it takes. It takes one. It takes one. And I want to be the one. Not so I can say I was first, but so I can say, Jesus, here I am. I want to be the one that says I recognized when you walked in the back door. Everybody might recognizes, might recognize if he walks up on stage, but I want to recognize when he slips in the back door. I want to recognize when he sneaks in, when we're all occupied with something else. When I've got a million other things on my mind, when there's 10,000 other things that I should be doing, I want to be the one that says, wait a second, something feels different in the atmosphere than it did a moment ago. And I sense something that I couldn't sense a moment ago. He is here. And he's not just here because it's cool to be here. He's here to do something. He doesn't show up just to show up. He shows up to change things. And let my recognition of him change people's lives. And let it not just be at the church house. Yes, God let it happen at church, but my God, let it happen at work. Let it happen at schools. Let it happen at the grocery store. Let me be aware enough that as I'm getting groceries, I'll stop and recognize and say, I don't know what you're doing or why, but for some reason you're in this aisle and I have no idea what you're up to, but I recognize that you're here. And for whatever reason, if nobody else recognizes you, I recognize you. These are the people that lead other people into encounters with him. These are the people. These are the people that lead people into encounters with Jesus. If you want to pass out tracks, that's awesome, and I think that's great. But if you pass out tracks until your hand falls off and you never stop to recognize his presence when he walks into the room, you've missed the point. You've got to stop to recognize when he walks in. Verse 13. And Jesus came and he took bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fishes. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Every, every single encounter is meant to bring us into relationship. Every single encounter is meant to bring us into relationship. Whether it's Gideon being empowered to fight an army, Abram on his way to being Abraham, being told about a seed that's gonna come from him that's gonna bless every nation of the earth, whether it's Peter on a rooftop in a trance being shown a sheet that's let down from heaven with birds and animals and flying things that he's not supposed to eat, but now he's being told to eat, or it's a 
group of guys on a boat who see a man on a shore and don't recognize his voice, but recognize his nature. Every encounter is meant to bring us into relationship. It's all about relationship. Yeah, but, but what if in the encounter he talks to me about my destiny? That's awesome. It's still about entering into deeper relationship with him. What about if in the encounter he shows me visions and dreams and revelations? That's awesome. But if in the encounter you don't feel closer to Jesus, then you miss the point of the encounter. Because every single encounter is a revelation of Jesus. It's not a revelation about Jesus. Paul said, I had revelations of Jesus. Every single encounter is a revelation of Jesus because from him and through him and to him are all things. My destiny, my dreams, my hopes, my visions, they are all unto him. And if it doesn't draw me into a deeper relationship with him, then it's become an idol in my life. And he has every right and permission to rip it down, to rip it down. Stand with me tonight. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.